Hey, Mike. Hi, Caleb. How are you? I'm doing quite well. It's been a nice, uh, summery, sunny couple days here in Palo Alto. So quite it's too nice. hot. It's too damn hot. It has been quite hot. Uh, yesterday, I went to a little festival up in your neck of the woods and uh, luckily did not get burned. So major <laughs> success. Yeah, we went over to, to Walnut Creek, which is more inland. And yeah, it's, it's, it's hotter there. And uh, I was not quite ready for the, uh, for the 90 degree sun treatment. So yeah, I'm a little, a little wiped out right now. What are you drinking uh, to cool off? Tonight, I have gone to a classic. I am drinking a Blood and Sand. Uh, my one of my f- sort of favorite classic uh, Scotch drinks and Scotch cherry herring, sweet vermouth, orange juice, uh, very very delightful. Uh, went with a blended Scotch this time instead of the Johnny Walker Black, which I mm-hmm. usually use. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of missed a little bit of smokiness that that uh, that brings to it. So that's probably more detail than you wanted. Uh, what, are, what are you drinking tonight? I have a new drink, a uh, pink pomplemousse. <gasps> And Papa Moose? It is gin, grape, fresh grapefruit juice, and orange liqueur. Oh, all right. Yeah, well, Pumple Moose, that's uh, French for grapefruit. Mm, all right. I was not sure what the name of this was, so yeah, thank yeah. you for uh, that. Comment sont les uh, grapefruit? I was just in France, so I should have known that, but grapefruits were not on the menu. All right, then. So tonight, I thought we could dig into one of our favorite topics of autopilot um, and a particular area of autopilot, uh, which has come out in the past few weeks. In the most recent update, uh, not only did they make improvements to autopilot, uh, but they added a new privacy sharing setting, a privacy setting that essentially will allow more data from the cars to go back to Tesla. And so I thought we could talk about that, sort of what the implications for it are, and what it says about where Tesla is in its path to full self-driving. So is this like when you get a new iPhone and it asks you uh, after all of its questions about location services and find my iPhone, it asks you, do you want to share data, diagnostic data with Apple and their app developers? Uh, yes, but also it would be as if Apple were asking you if it could turn on the camera every once in a while to figure out where it was. That seems a bit invasive. Well, that's what we'll talk about. All right, then. Um, yeah, so uh, the latest update or one of the f- most recent updates to the software uh, has brought the autopilot pretty much up to parity with autopilot uh, one. Is that uh, a technical term? Pretty much up to parity? Yes, it is a very technical term <laughs> of us software folks. Um, some, bas- at, at some point in 2017, we will get pretty much up to parity. Well, Elon recently tweeted out that the two remaining features uh, that I'm aware of, the perpendicular self-park and the auto-sensing rain, like the auto-rain, sorry, rain-sensing auto-wipers. Wait, so that you're aware of or that Elon was aware of? Well, those are the last two that I'm aware of, and those were two that were asked of Elon. Okay. And he said those would be coming in June, most likely. All right, I got a little confused because you said Elon tweeted out, and then you said that I'm aware of. So I wasn't sure if you were if you're personifying. See, if you, this would all be solved if you just did the accent when you were doing Elon's uh, tweets and comments. Maybe but, in our last episode, I'll I'll do it in an Elon voice. I just think it would eliminate confusion and provide entertainment. Yes, so, it's a win-win. Yeah, so there was a there's some updates, some more updates coming to autopilot for the the functionality there, as well as some smoother control, um, so that on the highway and, and other places it just is smoother, less jerky. Is it um, going to scroll like butter? He did say. Well, he didn't say like butter. He said smooth as silk. So oh. he, he used the other fun term. <laughs> well, smooth like butter might be copyrighted. Yeah, wasn't it? Uh, it he didn't Steve Jobs sort of use that in the wrong way. He said it was as smooth, like fast as butter. Scroll, it scrolls like butter. Yeah, it scrolls like butter, which is a little chunky and thick, but it makes no sense. It doesn't make sense. Butter that does a, not scroll. That was a good one. That was a fun one. Um, <laughs> and the other thing, just for folks who are listening who are probably Model Three reservation holders. There had been apparently some confusion whether or not Model 3 would be getting all these fancy self-driving and uh, enhanced autopilot features that the S and X have. And Elon also took to Twitter to reiterate that uh, Model 3, X, and S will all have the same level of autopilot capability. So everything we're talking about tonight will certainly be applicable to the Model 3, even though it hasn't yet shipped um, because it's just bits. And that's the amazing thing about software. Um, And it will have the same hardware capabilities as these cars shipping today. of course it will. It's going to be the it's going to be the new version, right? 
no it is not the new version of the, oh. it's just smaller less capable less range but still awesome i mm. i've just been sort of thinking of it just sort of it has the same dna of a tesla but it's not the same peak performance of the best teslas has <laughs> it shares a common ancestor it does it does uh mr musk um <laughs> So I wanted to read what this dialogue, well, uh, just sort of describe what's going on here. So it was a new privacy option. So similar to what you were mentioning, uh, every time you get a new iOS update, almost uh, you do a reboot, they want you to reconfirm a few settings. Tesla does that as well when they introduce new privacy settings. Um, and the lawyers love to, to make sure people are opting into these things, um, especially because Tesla's a... a, a global company different uh legislate different um, areas have different legislation and laws against uh ways you can use people's data with or without their permission so uh we have we get some insight into what tesla's doing with data where if they were purely u.s they, they may not have to reveal as much of this information since the eu <laughs> tends to have a lot stricter policies um so the there's two main uh, check marks that you had to give two agrees so there's two separate things so the first one was um, they're framing this as we're working hard to improve autonomous safety features and make self-driving reality for you as soon as possible so they're framing this under the positioning of we're trying to make self-driving and safety better so here's here's what we're going to be doing to to do that so makes sense you lead with the benefit lead with the benefit yes so the first uh, first section. In order to do so, we need to collect short video clips using the car's external cameras to learn how to recognize, recognize things like lane lines, street signs, and traffic light positions. The more fleet learning of road conditions we're able to do, the better your Tesla self-driving ability will become. So what do you think about that? Uh, that seems pretty reasonable, I guess. I don't know. I hear short video clips, and I think that they're going to be putting looping, humorous vines of silly things that they see on the roads uh, on the Internet. But that's that's probably not what they're doing. Um, I, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I think um, most uh, certainly all the Tesla owners I know are heavily uh, excited and invested in this autopilot idea. And I, I have to imagine their uh, opt in rate is going to be pretty high for these things. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think that the exciting thing here is the, the few items they call out. So uh, lane lines, we'll talk about this, but lane lines are definitely important to knowing where you are in the lane, but also uh, to knowing how many lanes there are. And so on highways and on surface streets where there's multiple lanes, um, currently the human has to put you, you have to put yourself, you in the car, in the correct lane. Uh, but in the future, Tesla will need to put the car into its own lane. And so understanding lane lines is very important and it also helps with mapping, which we're gonna dig into. So that's one great. This would be like the, the drivable paths that, that we've talked about in the past. Yeah, exactly. And then the, the second piece they talk about is street signs. Um, so these would be everything from stop signs to yield signs to do not enter signs to speed highway. Limits. Yeah, speed limit exit signs. So pretty much every type of roadway sign uh, all being covered by the street sign concept. Okay, and does it get into uh, like the sort of level of uh, resolution they might have where like if you're driving on a highway and there's like multiple destinations about upcoming exits and distances on them, is it going to be reading all of that? Uh, or is it more just that there is a sign there sort of binary type thing? So the reason I think this is particularly interesting is that they're going to be saving these little clips is that, yeah, they'll get the raw image data from what those signs say to the, ex so to the extent they're going to OCR them. Uh, it seems plausible. I think what we'll talk about later too is there's two parts to this. Is this part is about the collection of the raw data, and then the second piece is about using that data as it's been munged for the car's use. Um, but the last one is traffic light positions. So they didn't just say traffic lights because that could sort of just be con construed as street signs, but they said mm. traffic light positions and. So this indicates that maybe they already are good at recognizing the traffic lights or they're sort of positioning that as street signs. But traffic light positions is a tell, in my mind, to the important aspect of what 
you know, when you approach a, a multi-lane intersection, there's often multiple traffic lights. And as a human, you pretty quickly understand which traffic light is for you, especially if it's an area you've driven before. But for a self-driving vehicle to know which light it should respond to, especially if it can see multiple lights, really, really important uh, to be actuating on the light that's appropriate for its given lane. Um, so I thought that was particularly interesting. Yeah, we saw that in the, in the cruise video recently of its drive around San Francisco, where it got to a couple of intersections where there were multiple lights that were all visible to it. And it, re it realized or it determined which one was the correct one. Yes. So that is good news that they are um, sort of describing that already to customers, I guess. And I guess that sort of indicates, A, that their team is planning to do that or has already started doing it and now needs permission slash retroactive permission. And <laughs> I, guess, I guess permission, I'm sorry, permission, I guess position is actually pretty important too because they are not color cameras. So they won't actually be able to tell which light is, I guess, well... I don't know. Just I mean, the I guess position we, of the you have light. Red, yeah. yeah, you have red, yellow, and green, and they do have uh, a red sensor. So red I guess chroma, you could kind yeah. of infer which one was was red or, or yellow. I mean, the green wouldn't put it on any red light. But anyways, yeah. Yeah, and then the last bit here was just saying that uh, the clips uh, are not linked to your vehicle identification number. And to protect privacy, they're, they've ensured there's no way to search clips that are associated with a specific car. And then you <laughs> click a check mark to agree uh, to click those to collect those clips. So um, if you're doing any nefarious or, or embarrassing things in your vehicle, you don't have to worry. Well, if you're doing anything outside of your vehicle, you wouldn't need to worry. Uh, inside your vehicle, there's no cameras pointed at you. But if you were um, doing things on your car, you yeah, or if you know if you're driving up to the local gentleman's club or. Hmm. wherever, wherever right, else you right. might go. I actually yes. can't think of any other examples, but you know, wherever you might go that you might not want people knowing about. Yes, that is, that's correct. And uh, definitely would like to, you know, ensure that that's the case. And I think people will be able to reverse engineer on the, on the, uh, on the payloads that are going out to see what kind of data is in there. And uh, I've got a little bit of data on that so far, which I'll get to shortly, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't look like there's any extra data about the car it's just sort of raw images and radar data so then that's the first section is sort of collection of video clips which interesting video clips are really just a set of static images that are encoded in a way and played back at a certain frame rate so it's just really <laughs> images right um well it's like a movie strip right yeah 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 and so uh it's they're basically asking permission to take a series of images but Anyway, sort of technical, not, not, in, not that important. I guess the, the thing that's kind of interesting to me is like a short video clip is actually like could be a lot of images. Um, and so as we know, these neural networks are trained on images, not video necessarily. So um, it's sort of a little bit of a head fake, like, oh yeah, just tiny little video clips. It's, it's not like we're going to be recording your entire drive, but that's <laughs> not necessary. No, but I mean, I guess the, the temporal dimension is actually pretty important too especially if you're talking about identifying objects and you can see what's you know static from one frame to the next um but it's also uh interesting too that they are actually uploading raw images and raw video because that speaks to um as as their algorithms improve if they were actually doing more processing and just uploading some sort of uh end result from the vehicle to their servers then as they improve their algorithms they would be stuck with whatever pre-processed result they've already uploaded whereas if they're actually uploading like you say like if they're uploading the video of the sign that they could do some ocr on later as their algorithms improve if they still have that raw data all stored somewhere they can just rerun the data and you know get better output from it yeah so one someone on one of the the tesla motors club forums actually was able to hack into his tesla to get access to sort of the developer version of the software Ooh. and he he was able to interpret what was going on and intercept one of these uploads um, after this update had been done. So this is a new software, and he's intercepting the payload that Tesla's uploading back to their headquarters with all this image data. So what he found was that uh, there was raw sensor data from seven, all seven, well, seven of the cameras, um, because the backup camera, the eighth camera, is is a different kind of camera. It's sort of 
full image, full color images. Um, so it doesn't look like they were using that. So they were using seven of the black and white cameras and they did 10 images each. Um, and then, so that's one per second. So they got 10 seconds temporal, uh, one image from each. And then from the, um, main and narrow cameras, which are facing forward, they got 10 seconds of images at 30 frames per second. So 300 images each. And those were compressed with H.265 uh, image compre or video compression, which is a, the sort of the newest, I guess, um, video compression uh, past H.264. It's uh, one better. It's one better. It's a lot better for it's sort of what all the 4K video will be uh, transmitted in. So it's a it's definitely it's a little lossy, but it's still uh, a pretty efficient and, and high quality codec to use uh, for this video. And so, yeah, there was a total of 620 images and then also accompanied with it was the radar snapshot. So what radar saw at those different time intervals um, so that the point cloud of what radar had and then also a timestamp uh, for all the time for all the clips, which makes sense. Um, and then one of the other cool things he found out was that there's a buffer of 10 seconds of video that the system is always keeping. And so when the system decides to call to upload the video and the images to Tesla, it doesn't call and then start recording. It calls and then looks back for the past 10 seconds. So that's oh. particularly interesting because it also has a mode of is crashing. And so this <laughs> seems to be one of the ways they've been dealing with if a vehicle gets into a crash, they've got the previous 10 seconds to look towards it's like a tivo rewind exactly 10 second reverse skip um and so that's super interesting because as they improve the time like as they change whatever algorithm they have for when they're going to trigger sending this payload back to tesla um if they hit an in a unique event like you're driving an autopilot and you uh disengage or you have to take control or you s hit the brakes or you hit the accelerator or you come to a stop and the system doesn't recognize a stop sign, but it doesn't, it's on a map where you shouldn't be stopping. They could look and use that data to interpret that, oh, there actually was a stop sign. And here's some new video clip to use to train the system better. So is there any indication that they're going to make this uh, like available to you as like sort of a, a black box, like dash cam type situation where if you do get in an accident, you might want to be able to pull off those 10 seconds and, you know, send it to your insurance company or the police or whoever? I don't know, actually. Um, I think some folks have reached out to Tesla for access to that in the event they've had accidents, but it isn't something they publicize that I'm aware of. But um, to be honest, I haven't done a ton of research into that particular area yet. Um, but it does sound like they will have that data as long as the computer in the car is still uh, serviceable. Um, as long as you can find the black box. Exactly. It's, it's in the dash. <laughs> it's in the dash. Um, oh, and then the other last bit of data from, from this person who, who intercepted this was that it was a, the payload for this time, and it was in his garage, uh, was 160 megabytes. Um, and that it also was indicated that it would do this while you're driving on the LTE connection. So, and that he was saying it was sort of random. The that's a intervals. serious amount of data, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good amount of data for 10, you know, 10 seconds of video and 10 images from each of the seven cameras plus the radar. That's like a pretty good amount of, I mean, that, there's just a lot of data in there, right? Like 160 yeah. megabytes is, is not a super compressed format. So to your earlier point, there's a lot of uh, resolution to train on and to um, archive. Definitely. So that's the first bit of, of getting the data uh, to Tesla. And then the second piece was, uh, in order for these features to work, Tesla measures the road segment data of all participating vehicles, but in a way that does not identify you or your car, and may share that with partners that contribute similar data to help us provide the service. At no point is any personally identifiable information collected or shared during this process. Please click I agree. <laughs> so this is talking about this sort of code word here, road segment data. And this is about mapping. This is about, okay, we are going to be measuring what's going on in the roadway and uh, sending that back to Tesla, to us, to measure and understand where you are on the road. Um, so this is another piece that we're going to dissect. So today's episode will be dissecting both of these 
concepts that Tesla is now saying they're collecting and what it means. So with that, let's dig into what it means. All right. So the first piece was about signs, lane lines, and traffic signals and such. So that would be classified in this concept of sensing. So basically, we need to sense what's going on for the car to drive itself. We need to understand where cars are. We need to understand where the roadway is. We need to understand what signs there are, um, like everything. And so I was taking a look and uh, there's actually like there is some data already available on like what traffic signs are legal, like the U.S. Manual on Uniform Traffic Control Devices. It's a nice, nice named uh, road book. <laughs> uh, got started in 1935. It's been updated many times since. And there's like they enumerate all the signs you've ever seen in the United States. Um, yeah, you can you, you notice that as you drive around, right? Like everything looks pretty similar. They're all using same fonts. There's only a certain number of sizes and formats that you have. Exactly. So, so there's sort of a knowable set of signs uh, for all the countries. Um, and so you could train on those. But as you mentioned, they're not always going to look as perfect as they do in their, uh, you know, vector art version. <laughs> so you do need to understand those uh, at, the, at the real world level, as well as uh, overhead signs on highways and such th and exits that have unique information about you're exiting onto Middlefield Road or you're exiting onto Willow Road. Like that isn't in the manual code book. And so if you wanted to really read those signs, you'd need to get images of those. Um, and traffic lights, of course, are similar but slightly different um, and p positioned in different places. Sometimes they're overhead, sometimes they're vertical, sometimes they're horizontal. So being able to sense those is really critical. And so my current sort of belief um, is that Tesla has some very rough understanding of traffic lights and stop signs. And the best indication of this is that actually the same person who did that analysis also found that uh, there's a setting in developer mode uh, to turn on uh, traffic light detection in a Tesla, but it's not available to regular users, obviously. Um, and so my hunch is they've got some very rudimentary or somewhat, you know, maybe it's like 75 or 80 percent quality level now. But that's obviously not good enough if you're going to say, cool, <laughs> turn it on and autopilot will stop at a stoplight or stop sign and you blow past it like some other companies have done. <laughs> yeah. And well, and it's especially tough because as we mentioned, it's a kind of a not quite black and white, but almost black and white uh, camera system. And uh, if you've ever uh, been recording on, on, say, your phone or um, any other video device and you happen to come across one of these new LED uh, stoplights, you'll notice that there is a refresh rate on them and you'll see it like kind of strobing a little bit in your video because it's not actually a constant light like an incandescent light would be. It's actually, you know, strobing at some sort of refresh rate. Yep, yep. And the Tesla cameras, I believe, are 36 frames per second. Um, so it's almost certainly not matched um, to, to or high enough frame rate to, to eliminate the, the flicker. Um, and so some of the techniques, like there's been lots of research papers on how to detect traffic lights and stop signs at really good, uh, really good um, high confidence intervals. And one of the basic ideas as well is to, to have the system know when it should be anticipating a traffic light. So if the car has a map that knows where traffic lights are, it can know it's getting close to a traffic light. And then to Tesla's earlier comment about uh, position, know where it should be looking for it so that it can isolate its search in the frame uh, to increase the likelihood that it finds it. Um, because if it knows there should be one there in this frame or very soon, um, it could have a better chance of finding it versus just, <laughs> you know, not knowing that it should be looking for it, right? If you tell someone to look for something in a picture, they have a higher chance of finding it uh, than if you just hope they find everything yeah yeah and uh, certainly in in driving around boston and even in some places in san francisco it's it's a little bit tough because they're not always where you expect them to be sometimes they've moved around a bit and it's not always obvious that that signs are there and even as a human driver who's familiar with the streets it can be tough to to know exactly when there's uh when there should be a, a stoplight 
Yeah, and and then the other the other one is like the street signs for for uh, speed limits. We know the previous autopilot was reading speed limit signs because Mobilized System had that uh, already built in in the version that Tesla was using for autopilot one. Uh, but in the current version, they're not doing that. Uh, they're just using the GPS based uh, information for traffic light or sorry traffic speed. Um, so once they start doing that, uh, that's that's a relatively low. Um, risk one so that might be one of the first ones they turn on uh, potentially because you've already got the gps one backup and uh you know not catching a speed limit sign isn't the end of the world usually um and if you catch it you're going to be reading the sign and interpreting the values on it and so you're probably not going to get it wrong like you probably aren't going to interpret 45 as like 120 or something like well humans do but the machine won't (laughs) yeah the machine won't so i think that as we see the cars actually start doing that, I think that might be a really good indication that they're starting to push uh, this out there and that the first version they'll start testing will be the the uh, speed limit signs. Um, so not only do they say they're going to be sensing the traffic lights and the signs, but the lane markers. And what's interesting about this is obviously they have some understanding of lane markers already, right? Because autopilot works. And right. autopilot's working on autopilot on hardware too. So they clearly already are reading the lines in a sensing way, like in a real time way, as well as some interpretive dance style version where they, if there aren't lanes, they can still understand what it should be sort of by the contextual um, setting of where the car is. And I just saw some lines and uh, I'll probably find new lines in a minute. So I'll just sort of continue on this path without adjusting too crazily and kind of like when you're driving in fog or rain or something and you're just kind of guessing where they'll be yeah exactly um so i think they're doing this because of what we're about to hit is mapping so lane lines are when auto autopilot is I, i really think it's it's interesting to think of it just sort of as a as a propulsion like lateral and longitudinal like it, it sort of goes side to side a little bit in these lanes and it goes forwards um, as fast as you ask it to. And it isn't really thinking about what it's doing. It's just sort of, you know, aim like um, unthoughtfully just moving forward. Like if you just told someone to run, like it's just kind of doing that and staying upwards and all that. But if you said like run to New York, that would take a lot more planning, right? And so the lane lines I think they're talking about here are not in the sensing world of like in the moment, just stay between the lines, stay between the lines, like limbic system kind of level. This is going to be much more around, okay, here are lane lines and there is like some more lanes to my left and more lanes to my right. So I'm on a three lane highway, which means that as I get close to this object in front of me, which I know is a car, I want to move left to pass it because I'm now 20 miles under the speed that my driver has told me he wants to, he or she wants to drive at. And that information is not always just going to be real time. That's going to be built into a map tile that the car downloads so that it has that pre-knowledge as well as the live sensing. So now it has redundancy. And I think this is the big thing that is going to be coming with that second piece of these map tiles that they're talking about the road segment data because maps are really the next important bit for Tesla to move beyond just sort of the autopilot level two functionality on the highways to this enhanced autopilot and the full self-driving is we need to know more about what's what's going on on the road to have redundancy and to move the vehicle from point A to point B without the human's intervention. Okay, so it kind of seems like it maps to... Uh, As you're driving around, you know, you can do driving no matter where you are, you can get dropped in. And, you know, as long as the road markings are similar and the the street, you're driving on the same side of the road and all all those sort of things are the same. So if you're dropped anywhere in the U.S. and you're a U.S. trained driver, you can you can pretty much move around. uh, And that's the sort of immediate reaction to whatever you're seeing. You're seeing lane lines, you're seeing streetlights. Uh, signs that sort of stuff but then there's the sort of higher level functionality of like when you understand where you want to go when you know an area then you know like ahead of time that oh i need to move over a lane because i'm going to be making a right turn up here or that if you know visibility gets low you know that you're still going 
west and you know that you, there's going to be a lane on either side of you and you have more of like a sort of holistic knowledge of your travel plans. Yeah, exactly. Right. If you're on the highway and you enter and that lane disappears uh, today in autopilot, it's up to the driver to get over to the correct lane or if you're in an exit only lane uh, to move over. But at some point soon, the cars are going to need to be able to be aware of that, even on the highway, right? Uh, even to change onto another uh, highway, right? Sometimes you'll exit onto highway, you know, to the 280 or 101 and you're on 92 or something. And so, or 84 or something. And so basically <laughs> the car is going to need to be able to know which lane it's in and which lane goes where and reading the signs and reading the actual road as it's happening won't be a high enough uh, I don't think you'd have enough confidence and Tesla won't have enough confidence and the system just won't be confident enough that it will be able to do that in real time, never having seen any of that before, because you kind of have to plan. You have to make sure you get into the right lane or the correct lane. And navigational maps aren't always enough to do this. And so Tesla has been, um, like we know Tesla has some of this capability for the road detection, like the sign detection and, um, and lane detection already because we saw a year ago almost now, maybe eight months ago, that full self-driving demo when they released a new hardware too, um, where remember that Model X that was driving around Palo Alto and they had the multiple feeds and they sort of showed uh, it going down the back roads behind the Tesla headquarters. Mm -hmm. There were some yield signs. There were some stop signs. There were some traffic lights coming out of that uh, Los Altos Safeway, I think, almost. Um, and so their vision system can detect some of that at that level. And so that's what clearly is being used to push forward what they're going to be doing in the cars. But this then saving that information becomes useful because you can make a map out of it. And this is the thing that really, as I've dug in more, has been the most um, cool, like kind of amazing technological feat that it's kind of possible to basically build a map uh, using these landmarks of signs and roadways to understand both where you are in the world as well as uh, create like what all the lanes are, where you should be driving in the lanes, and then also how you should be turning for any intersection, like what kind of arc you should take if you're turning left in a multi-lane uh, roadway, and that that information will be processed and saved by Tesla by all these cars driving out uh, just doing their everyday drives, and then it will be pushed back down to those very same cars and future cars to augment what their systems are understanding in the moment so that it'll actually have redundancy. There'll be the live sensing from the cameras, which will see that same information, plus this encoded map data, which will sort of put the car on rails for where it should be going. And so now you've got redundancy because you've got both this high definition map of where the car should be driving, as well as the live sensing data. And then you really start to have something interesting. Cool, where do I sign up? I know. So basically you just need to start driving because what's happening um, is this creation of a high def map. So this is different than just sort of a, a, def, a, a navigational map because we know very we know that pretty much like Mobileye and Here and TomTom are all using this very similar approach. And so whether or not Tesla um, was was sort of coming up with it and talking with with Mobileye about it, or Mobileye came up with it first, or whatever. The general approach seems pretty universal, and it's around this concept of um, localization. And so basically. When you have your car and you've got GPS, GPS is accurate to about a few meters, uh, plus or minus 10 meters usually. Um, and so you can get really high, high definition, uh, re really, really high precision uh, GPS in big open spaces. But when you get into a city, it can become a lot more problematic. And so you do need a way to deal with the fact that uh, if you're off by 10 meters on a roadway, you could be <laughs> in the bushes or in the trees. Or in the oncoming traffic, yeah. Or in the oncoming traffic, exactly. And so you really need sort of 10 centimeters, um, so a couple inches uh, of precision uh, to put the car in the correct spot on the roadway. So to do that, you need some map that's a much higher resolution map than just live GPS or traffic maps. 
you need what's called a high definition map. I think we've touched on this in the past, but the the general concept here is um, how do you get that? Um, because you can have really high end cars go out and map it with with laser scanners and have someone tag it after the fact. But the problem is you'd need to do that everywhere for it to be useful for cars everywhere. And so you generally would want something that's low cost and crowdsourced to, to be able to do that so that you don't have to employ people to, to make these happen and have it sort of be universal by all these cars driving around. And the other thing is as new roads open or roads are shut down, you kind of want that map to update uh, very quickly. And so having it be crowdsourced also helps solve that problem because uh, as more cars are seeing quite different landmarks, it would be updated. So when, when you say crowdsourced, you mean that like, for instance, when Tesla has all these vehicles out there, that everyone who clicked agree on that thing, their car is behind the scenes participating in this and there's real, there's nothing they're doing. It's just as they drive around, their car is sort of hoovering up all this information and sending it up to the mothership. And that is building the giant centralized Tesla map for, of the world. Yeah. And Tesla has been doing this already for uh, the, remember when they started doing the radar stuff uh, with autopilot, they started whitelisting areas. Right. So that was some crowdsourcing going to mapping tiles they also have general understanding of where you are in the lanes because in certain areas they do have the high precision GPS and lots of cars driving over the same spot. So they have some understanding of what lanes exist. And then they also are using uh, the curvature for certain roads to slow down autopilot uh, a little bit. So this is, I mean, for, for most people, they don't have any sort of experience with this. Like right now, like if you're using Apple Maps or Google Maps or TomTom or something like that's a dedicated mapping vehicle that goes out but probably the best way to think of this is if you use something like Waze uh, or maybe the um, I think TomTom might do this as well like thinking of the traffic data like the real-time traffic data that's coming in where everyone who has the Waze app is contributing like the velocity and position of their vehicle and that's how Waze knows where there are slowdowns and how it can give you the overlays of like you know the red sections on the highways where you shouldn't be going uh, and it knows to reroute you and stuff. And that's sort of the probably the closest current analogy to participating in some sort of crowdsourced mapping effort. Yeah, exactly. And that that updates in pretty much real time and you don't really have to do anything. And just by having a few vehicles in a particular area start moving slower than the, the speed limit, you can know that there's something going on there. And so that same sort of principle um, enabled by the cell connected Tesla is that because the, the first bit, remember, it's going to be recognizing signs and all that stuff, that by recognizing signs and traffic lights and all sorts of other things, like Mobileye has gone into a lot of detail publicly about what they use for their high-definition maps and things like traffic signs. There's over 1,000 traffic signs they're, they're tracking. There's over 10,000 directional signs they're tracking. Um, and then there's like over 100 labels they have for lampposts and reflectors. They also <laughs> use billboards. Uh, they use tunnels, entrances. Um, they use overpasses. So all these sort of static things in the scene that are pretty permanent um those from any place you are on the road those are um increasing in size as you're moving down the road and so that th that's sort of a three-dimensional space they have these images of all these objects and so they can localize where those objects are and then basically triangulate plus 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 where you are and so they can create this map that actually maps down to 2d um using some good high quality math um <laughs> I wonder how they differentiate between things that are static, static, like a, a street sign versus things that are sort of semi-static, like a parked vehicle, um, especially in a, in a in a city where it might not be the same vehicle parked there, but there's almost always going to be a vehicle parked there. Yeah, so they don't use parked vehicles as part of the landmark. So they, because they know what they're looking at, they, that's the first thing, right? You need to be able to recognize different things correctly. But once you can do that, then you know, oh, this is a pole. And then you can also put some semantic meaning to that, like poles don't move very often or tunnel entrances don't move. <laughs> then you can say, okay, I want to include that as part of a landmark. And then you have an understanding of uh, all these landmarks. And what was interesting, too, is, okay, well, what if there aren't many landmarks? Because if there aren't any landmarks, then you won't be able to localize yourself because there's nothing to sort of re 
recalibrate yourself to. Mm-hmm. So Mobileye did some research and found out that the worst case in the is in the U.S. Uh, by dr- all this driving they've been doing with test vehicles. The, the worst case is 200 meters between landmarks on, a US, high, on U.S. highways. And the uh, mean distance, like the average, is only 40 meters. So, so 200 meters, that's like uh, about an eighth of a mile? Yeah. And they said that with, with the, with the um, inertial motion unit in the car um, and also GPS, that that amount of drift can be compensated for. Um, because the car, once it loses its, even if it loses its GPS signal, it still is tracking the speed of the tires um, and the sort of the vector of the car because it's got a compass in it. And so it can sort of predict where it's going. And then they can use that information to, to reinforce where, where it is. And then it relocks on to a new landmark. And then it can correct that clock drift, essentially. Um, and so with more sort of uh, dense areas like a, um, a city, then you might only have a couple meters without landmarks. And so you're really not going to have any drift and you don't even need GPS. Um, and so that's what can help you um, know where, where you are in the world. Um, so it downloads this sort of map tile and it can tell you, tell the car where it is physically with just a very little bit of GPS to get to sort of generally orient itself. And then it precisely orients itself. And then that map tile also has all the drivable paths. So the lane lines and where the car should be driving given the lane that it's in. And so that's the really cool part. It's two things in one. It's the localization and it's where it should be driving. And then it uses that as a backup for the sensing. And the really good example that Mobileye gave that really opened my eye to this was, you know, when you're at like a four-way intersection uh, with traffic lights and you're going to be turning left or turning almost like 270 degrees, the cameras can't see that sort of full pathway from where it's where the car is mm-hmm. um, but the the curvature will already be known by the map and so it'll just sort of follow that even though it can't see exactly where the lane markings are or the dot bots are or bot dots or whatever um, and so even though the car can't see exactly where it's going to end up with the cameras uh, the map data will sort of tell it oh it's going to be okay you should just try and follow this given the visibility you have now and that's a similar way that humans drive right you just sort of sort of enter the intersection and then you turn le- you t- look left <laughs> so yeah. humans can obviously navigate these intersections they're designed for humans even if you can't see the final terminal destination um so yeah it's just really really fascinating and the really cool thing too is that that processing happens up that will happen with tesla It'll be these much smaller data sets that come back down for the tiles, the maps, like it's pretty small. And then on the cars, as they contribute this data, they don't have to upload like the raw images. They will eventually have the processing on the vehicles to make these map tiles themselves, understand those um, landmarks because the recognition software will be on the car, right? It has to recognize it anyways for general sensing purposes. And then it will take that and use it to actuate the vehicle, but also to build these landmark files that it will then upload to Tesla. So it's just, it's like such an elegant little system that it uses the same detection system to detect like the traffic lights, which it needs to stop the car. And then it also will use that to build these maps of where the car, where things are in the world, which it'll send up to Tesla, which then it will download back to the car later so that if it's nighttime and like none of the cameras are working, it could still know there's a stop sign coming up, right? Like that's like the final countdown thing. If it's fully foggy, it would still be able to know there's going to be a traffic light or a stop sign. So it should slow down. Like it's, it's just, super cool stuff is about to happen and this op- update just sort of shows that tesla's on the cusp of having this start being built yeah yeah i mean i i guess there's still the what we mentioned earlier about uh if they're doing processing before uploading then they're kind of locked into whatever version of the process data is whereas if they're uploading the raw data uh, they can reprocess later um the other thing i think is interesting is when i hear the story about the guy who hacked in and was like looking at the the data that was going up uh i'm i'm wondering i'm, I'm assuming tesla is going to encrypt all this data or do something to uh sign it or encrypt it in some way such that someone couldn't then just start uh you know 
pranking the system and making you think that, you know, uploading phantom stop signs and, you know, you know how the kids are. So if they can somehow get in there and start uh, trolling people or, uh, or I guess even more nefariously, like guiding people towards a, an establishment that's paying you money to bring people to it, uh, you know, any, any of these sort of future scenarios, um, I, I guess we'll just have to assume that they're doing proper uh, encryption and, and uh, cryptographic signing of, of the data that's going back and forth. Yeah, so I believe the connection to their headquarters is over a VPN. So the guy was intercepting it from his local car before mm-hmm. it left the, the car. Um, and but even yes. then, if you're if if you can open it up and and intercept the the signals going around in the car, you could probably also do something. And they they might have to push it down to like you know encrypting the connections between cameras and CPUs. And that's probably I, I highly doubt they're doing that right now, but uh, it could get to that point. Yeah, I, I definitely expect there will be people who are going to try and push those those limits, uh, trying to upload weird stuff to Tesla and try and get them to use it. But uh, <laughs> certainly the other thing that's important and interesting is that someone like Mobileye has over 800 people on staff who tag and annotate images. And back to the neural network uh, episodes, one of the things for neural networks is that you have to feed it data that's labeled. So you have an image in sort of supervised learning, at least. You have an image of a stop sign, and uh, you tell the system this is a stop sign, and you train it on lots of images of stop sign, labeled stop sign. So then when it sees an image that is not labeled, which will be coming from your car as you're driving, it will be able to say stop sign. And so Mobileye employs lots and lots of people to tag all this data and images. And so I'm curious how Tesla is approaching that side of it, because I haven't heard much about the number of people on their team who are uh, data tagging all this data coming in, but maybe they're going to start, that may be their sort of partners they described. Yeah. And who knows how, when, when Mobileye says they have 800 people, that just could be like a mechanical Turk type situation where they just have, you know, offshore centers where people are just going through and doing thousands of these a day. Yeah. And that's why I think Tesla made sure that they have the option to share this with partners, which would cover sort of third parties uh, in the event they need third parties to do the tagging for them. Um, but anyways, that is that is a part of it, right? So just because they're now tracking this data doesn't mean instantly, like you should expect next week, the cars to start stopping at stop signs. Like this could take many months still for that to be possible. Um, but it's a good sign at least that they're starting to use the data from the fleet because I would expect they were they did as much as they could uh, with the available data sets, and now this is sort of turning it on. And something that's special to Tesla right now is they have access to all these cars. And to your earlier point, I expect many, many, many tens of thousands of these cars will opt in to sharing this data. And 160 megabytes a pop throughout the day from each vehicle pretty quickly will add up to lots and lots of images of lots of lots of scenes and pretty quickly get a really good roadbook of the of the world, um, especially yeah. California. I feel pretty confident uh, our roads <laughs> we travel on will be heavily, heavily mapped. Yes, yes. We have very good uh, Tesla vehicle coverage out here, but um, presumably they, they also have some sort of dynamic system on their back end where they can actually, you know, instead of getting 5,000 uh, images of the same road in Palo Alto, they can indicate like which which spots they need and cars that are driving in less populated areas will be more likely to get their data uploaded. Yeah, exactly. That's the other thing, right, is they will be able to push updates where they're like, cool, this area is covered. Um, let's ask some of these cars to upload more frequently. Or if there are particular trouble spots where they find the cars are freaking out a little bit with autopilot today uh, to sort of warm those up and have cars when they cross those GPS boundaries to start sending data uh, so they can understand what's going on uh, and, and have, as we were saying at the top of the show, just more video feed of what's happening when, something, when something's going on and the car, uh, the car and human disagree on what they should do and the human takes over. Um, being able to have all eight cameras accessible uh, to sort of troubleshoot what happened will be quite quite useful for their future simulations uh, and regression testing so definitely really cool stuff um wheels are in motion yeah i mean this is a really first sign uh that i've seen publicly beyond those initial demo videos when the first self-driving stuff came out that tesla is really going to start progressing beyond where autopilot is today because 
it's it's great. Autopilot as it exists today is certainly awesome and could handle a lot of highway driving. But to get to where they want to go and have this full self-driving demo at the end of the year, which Elon Musk continues to reaffirm is going to happen <laughs> and will be capable of you know being performed on other cars, like other cars that are shipping today would be able to do it too. They need to up the game in the self-driving aspect and having high-definition maps and being able to recognize street signs and traffic lights is a very important attribute and then they'll get to the driving policy like how do you merge onto a highway smoothly that'll sort of be many months from now but the basics of recognizing the road really really important cool cool so one last uh thing before we go um i'm actually going to be at uh tmc connect which is a tesla motors club um meetup or sort of yearly event they do um this year it's going to be down in monterey uh june 23rd through the 25th monterey, i will be california yeah monterey california they have um, an aquarium there they do and they they have a uh, pebble beach is there right so right, yeah um I will be there on the 24th, the Saturday, uh, I should think June? I'm yeah, of June. I think I'll be hosting some interview or something. Um, so if any listeners are around or are going to be there, uh, you can go to the website, just search TMC Connect, and the tickets are pretty affordable, I think, a couple hundred bucks. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'll be there if you want to, if you're coming or are going to be there, uh, let me know, just message us and uh, love, love to say hi. Like Model S and X people or Model 3 people as well? Is it? I think it's anyone. Anyone who's a Tesla fan, um, anyone who's on the forum, the Tesla Motors Club forum, sort of the biggest Tesla forum. That's where the guy who I, uh, all that information about the person who intercepted the... uh, Right, yeah. That's from their forum, so. So current and future Tesla owners. Yeah, so there'll be people from Tesla there. Uh, Sometimes they'll do talks. There'll be um, former Tesla investors doing talks and... Um, yeah, just sort of a community event. So cool. Yep. We'll be there. Um, and come say hi. So otherwise you can message us on Twitter <laughs> at the Tesla show. Uh, you can go to our website, the show.com. And if you're into Reddit, you can go to r slash the Tesla show and, uh, share your thoughts and uh, predictions, uh, about what's coming next for self-driving and enhanced autopilot with us there. Our favorite feature. Our favorite feature. The most, uh, the thing I'm most excited about for my Model 3, I think. Indeed. All right. All right. Talk to you later, Mike. Bye. Bye.